Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. It's episode number 172 today. It's the three amigos back here again, John, Logan, and Phil. Today's podcast is brought to you by Epilogue Laser. You can quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloguelaser.com. I'm going to get started with a couple of comments from last episode. Uh, Alfreda158 says, Logan mentioned pistachios last episode, which makes me wonder if all of his nuts have dropped. <laughs> Sounds kind of personal. Yeah. I'm not going to comment. So are all the walnuts down? Yes. Well, not no. I take that back. They are not. I can definitely still see some in the tippy tops of the tree. It's been windy the last couple of days. So okay. I think that's taken most of them down. I haven't heard one. You'll hear like maybe one a day hit the shop now. So it's like all around the shop are down. Yeah. But I'm officially declaring walnut harvesting season done at the Whitmer homestead. Okay. I, I begged up all of the dried walnuts this morning, sent you guys a picture of my nut sack. It's 55 mm -hmm. pounds. And then I have I have another half of sack I have to fill right okay. in that room. And I forgot where I put my burlap bags. So, uh, to be fair, out of that 55-pound bag, I would guess half of those are probably squirrel nuts because they're small. Oh, yeah. But you, but you don't what – I, what I discovered is you can't really tell – you can't judge a nut size based on its outer husk. Right. Like some, some of them have a really thick outer husk. Some of them don't. So it's like – some of them, I'm like, this is going to be a giant nut. And it came out like a little, you know, tiny little guy. And some of them are like, oh, this one's kind of a medium-sized one. And it's all nut on the inside. So so when you're opening up any of these nuts, are you thinking to yourself, this is the size of a dinosaur brain? <laughs> no, I am not. <laughs> Though I will now. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have gutters on... The upper part of your shop do you not not yet i don't so okay. they would be full yeah that's, i was like are you gonna have to get up and clean those every year or i'm i i was looking at gutters for the porch section and above my garage doors mm -hmm. and i will be putting gutter guards on them to keep the walnuts from you could put like a tiny little auger system that yeah. like <laughs> feeds feeds the nuts down into a husker and yep. just like an right. automated system Hopefully no squirrels fall into it, but pa passive yeah. nut generation. Yep. Yeah. So. Your whole shop roof then becomes a giant walnut collector. That's right. Yeah. Some people use it for solar. Those fools. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ron Johnson from central Ohio says to start with, I planned a retirement woodworking shop 15 years ago and started watching your show. I think 10 years ago, you have been an inspiration to me over these last years to say the least. Thank you. In response to the bench top made of Osage orange, I should clarify my thoughts on it. My parents had a small farm, and we referred to it as hedge apple, which we had thought. The fruit they bore were big and heavy. You had to watch walking under them, or gravity was cruel. To my knowledge, we never saw anything eat it. As I was told by the old-timers, they started out as fence row bush, like multiflora rose, and anything else, if not kept in check, gets out of control. The hedge apples grew into trees of substantial size in this fertile soil. We used them for fence posts, 
but primarily firewood. It's extremely heavy and hard, has a high oil content that prevents rot and throws off a blue flame when burning. My aunt tried to burn it in her fireplace, but it popped and cracked so bad it blew sparks out onto the floor. As a young teenager, I took some logs to shop class and carefully turned some mini ball bats on the wood lathe for my cousin. The finished wood was amazingly beautiful. My brother still has a cutting board that he made for his wife 60 years ago. They do grow very large here, and I've seen some hardwood dealers offer the lumber for sale. But it's a thorny tree to work with, and the best analogy I can describe when harvesting it is trying to pull a sock hat from the bottom of a barrel of fish hooks. Okay. Okay. Stephen Draper says, at the age of 72, my skin is paper thin and the smallest injuries are painful and take much longer to heal. <laughs> Consequently, I take plenty of time and spend any amount of money necessary to ensure safety. I, I only laugh at this because I remember very clearly about three or four years ago, my dad, I don't know, my, my dad and I were doing something together. And I'm all of a sudden like, why is there blood all over everything? And he looks at me with the like most serious expression ever. And he said, old man skin. <laughs> and he, he had just brushed up against. And my dad's like, it is, he's not even 60. He's like 56, Right, he's like 57. Phil's age. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. There you go. So it was good comments. If you have any that you want to leave, you can do that on our YouTube channel, or you can send us an email at woodsmith at woodsmith.com. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about today is in spite of the fact that we do a lot of stuff on YouTube, I don't watch much YouTube. Okay. I don't have a lot of time for it. But recently um, I have been, and or watching more and i follow adam savage's tested channel yes yep uh from mythbusters fame yep as do i and his shop or cave that he calls it is outrageous um it, ma it makes me itchy like <laughs> and you know what i mean there's so much stuff in it that i just itch like yeah Granted, he's in the middle of, I think, San Francisco. So, like, I'm guessing yeah. it's not a very large space, and it's probably a very odd-shaped space. That's It kind of feels that way, yes. And also, yeah. he has so many things going on. Yeah. Because there there, he has several videos where he's just answering questions, and those are kind of interesting because you, in the middle of the answering some other question, he'll give you some little insight onto what you know is going on in his shop or something because he does like model making and puppetry and woodworking and metalworking everything and, yeah and everything yeah. and he wants to have everything at his disposal like within reach so he calls it his first order of retrievability yes so he deliberately hoards things so that he knows that he has hardware like he's got a thing for like hand wheels and knobs so he's just got drawers and drawers full of kind of that kind of stuff so i'm guessing if he's in san francisco it's a little bit harder for him to run to menards or the yeah. local hardware store yeah so it's yeah. good to have everything right there 
So anyway, one of the things that it, I was thinking about in watching a few of his episodes, he did one where he made a hand vice. It's kind of a cool project. And he did a lot of work on hit on a humongous milling machine that he has in his shop. Yep. So I have two thoughts on that. One is I need to find somebody who's as into metalworking as I am into woodworking just to have that crossover for, you know, cause we've always, we've talked about it on the show a few times, you know, like having a friend that has a sawmill just for example, mm-hmm. you know? So if you knew somebody who was like into blacksmith or had like a milling machine that liked to make stuff, out of metal would be cool mm-hmm. to do trade stuff, which then made the very logical connection is how, how close are you slash would you ever consider getting a milling machine? Logan Whitmer. I have bid on a few of them <laughs> and let me tell you why. Okay. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Uh, I, in high school, high school, middle school and high school is kind of where my woodworking journey really like launched because I, I've, I've went through this before, you know, I had access to a full shop. Our shop was probably, I'm guessing was probably 10,000 square foot. It was probably a hundred by a hundred. Wow. Um, I mean, you think we're farm town, you know, we always had people pulling in combines and stuff that we'd work on. We had, we didn't have an auto body class, but we had a full metals division. We had a full wood working division and we weren't a big school, but, um, we had access or I had access to three different engine lathes. Um, we had several arc welders because that's what all farmers used. Um, couple MIGs and one TIG welder. We had a foundry. We had a couple of forges and we had two um, knee mills, uh, two Bridgeport knee mills. And they're very cool. Now, my problem, like I would love to have a Bridgeport in here. Right. But woodworking and metalworking doesn't really cross over real well because stuff gets dirty and oily and nasty. And I don't really want to do that. Now that we got rid of the boat, I got a little room next door. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, I have, I have actually bid on a few of them and it was more of like a, I kind of hope I don't win this at this price because I don't know what I'm going to do with it right now, but like, I can't let it go for lower than this. Um, I would love to have a Bridgeport. Uh, like, I don't, I don't want like a, I don't want like a CNC mill. I don't want any of that stuff. Like, yeah. uh, don't get me wrong. I would, you know, woodworking CNCs are a different story. But like, I don't want a CNC mill. I don't want to mess with that. I want one where it's a Bridgeport knee mill. I have a X, a Y, and a Z axis, and you hand crank them. You know what I mean? Like, right. A, a basic manual mill is what I would like. Okay. Um, I've looked at like the Chinese or imported um, small style, like a bench top one. Like right. they make them, they're kind of like drill press style or drill press size, bench top and drill press size. Right. Yeah. And like the like I, the size of that general that we have in our. Exactly. And I just, 
there there's a there's a community of people that take those buy them tear them apart and like swap out parts and stuff and actually make them like super high spec mills wow and i ain't got time for that crap <laughs> so you're full-time walnutting right now i mean uh, yeah, yeah. Like, you can't take on another thing <laughs> Uh, well, it's like, I, I mean, I mean, it's fascinating to me that, that people are uh, do that. Like, I mean, they'll replace everything with, you know, nicer Gibbs and stuff and oh, yeah. tolerances, change gears out for, you know, milled gears versus, you know, plastic or, or cast gears. So like there's, there's people that do that. And I've, I've, I've obviously hyper fixated on this before. Right. Um, but I think that just a good old, you know, Bridgeport, you know, made in the sixties, fifties, sixties, X, Y axis would be super cool. Yeah. Now do I have, would it run once a week? No. Would it run once a month? Probably not. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, when I need it. Right. You know, and, and the other thing that I thought about, and this is, this is something I actually, I thought about pretty heavily when um, Vince was here because Vince was kind of into the, the machining and stuff. I don't know if there's any magazines around. I think there are. I think I've looked at a couple, but I don't know if there's any magazines around that are kind of like the Woodsmith style in metal. You know what I mean? Yeah, we used to get one that was like Home Shop Machinist. There were two. Yes, and it was and, Home yeah. Shop Machinist and like Small Shop Machinist or something yeah. like that. Where they kind of have projects and it's yep. like, oh, hey, turn a turn a uh, ball peen hammer on your lathe and stuff like that. Like, I think that would be super cool. And like, because I don't have a need to turn around and run a mill in my day to day, really. Um, right. I, yeah, I just, I don't, but I think it would be cool to be able to pick one up, you know, flip through pages, pick a project, be like, Hey, this looks like this would be really cool to make. Um, yeah. and then make it, you know? Yeah. Um, I would, so. I think it would be cool for some of the, you know, interest, you know, custom pieces of hardware would be fun mm -hmm. for on cabinet projects or, yeah. you know, something semi-decorative, but functional all at the same time, you know, like yeah. Chris has gotten into, he's done some blacksmithing kind of stuff. Yep. And I kind of feel like it would be really cool to just give him a milling machine, find one yes. and then just make him take Gift it. it to him. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then he'd have to. Yeah, have to figure out how to use it. Right. Um, I, yeah, I will say I could really see one for making hand tools. Sure. Like, like milling out the, um, I actually have a, in the cloth. I saw it yesterday removing it in that router table. There's a great big long jointer in there that right. I bought that it's like, I need a milling machine to flatten the bottom and cut the mouth in like stuff like that. Like stupid things yeah. like that. Like, yeah, that'd be fun. I would be down with that. Um, I actually have a friend right now that I'm trying to sell the guy I got my walnut beater from. Um, I'm trying to sell a South bend engine lathe for him. That comes with, I mean, it comes with a boatload of tooling. Oh, sure. The problem. The problem is, is it's a metal lathe. It has a 10 foot bed. Like it has 10 foot oh, between dude. centers. Ooh. It's huge. I mean, he's, you know, the, these guys, uh, uh, Howard and his family farm, you know, thousands of acres. So they're always, last time I was in there, his son had a combine, you know, I don't know, 14 liter diesel engine tore apart out of a combine. Like they're always doing stuff like that. Yeah. Um, 
some of the, I mean, the, you know, some of the smartest people you'll ever meet. Um, but I just don't have room for that big of metal lathe. Like I would, I would like a, like a little craftsman Atlas metal lathe. That's maybe, you know, two foot between centers. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, and like you said, being able to cut hardware, stuff like that, that would be fun. But the, the other crossover that I've kind of, it's, it is a lot of guys use them for metalworking. They're not necessarily metalworking pieces of equipment. And I think we've talked about them ornamental turning. Oh, sure. Um, the ornamental lathes. That's something that's kind of really piqued my interest lately. Um, because a lot of guys actually watchmakers use them a lot for like, I'm talking about like high end, like honorary pocket watches and stuff like that. You know, something that's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, they're super cool, but they kind of blend a milling machine, a metal lathe and a wood lathe all together, which is just, they're just weird. (laughs) But they're, I mean, they're so cool. There's just so many, so many parts. And like, if you've ever watched a metal lathes turn at a much slower speed than a wood lathe does wood lathe. I'm, you know, if I'm doing spindles, they're 32 to 3,800 RPM. Wood lay or metal aids generally are like six to seven hundred RPM, so it's like everything feels like it's in slow motion, right? Right. But when you watch an ornamental lathe going, everything's rocking, like everything's moving because there's oscillation in everything. So like, like the headstock's rocking back and forth, but left to right too, and then the cutter is moving this way. And then it's, you know, moving in a little bit of orbital pattern. So it's just, everything is, it's like rubbing your tummy, patting your head, and then repeating the Pledge of Allegiance in German. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, (laughs) so. So I guess to answer your question, yes, I would love a Bridgeport if anybody has one they want to sell me. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I will drive hours to pick one up. I remember when I started at Woodsmith, in 2002 we did a tour up at craig tool yeah in huxley and um got through there because at that time they were making i think like 99 percent of the stuff that they were selling in-house and we got to the manufacturing part of it and they had it was funny because at the time they had like two cnc mills but they had probably, I don't know, 15 milling machines in there. Mm-hmm. Just humongous bridge ports. And, and at that yeah. point, I had no concept of what these things were, you know, because it was yeah. just not part of my experience. But to see these, I mean, they look like the woolly mammoth of drill presses. Yeah. See, my... The thing that kind of, that's different than woodworking is, and probably a main a big reason why you don't see a lot of these manual milling machines anymore, or people that do have them have a hard time staffing them, is there's an art to running a milling machine. Like, yeah, to be a machinist, like that's a that is a very highly respected trade that takes a long time to master. So it's like, yeah. 
there's all these different sets of tools. And I see them often when I go into like flea markets or, uh, you know, antique stores around here. Like I actually just, uh, last week, two weeks ago, um, there was somebody that had a bunch of Starrett boxes, like their boxes full of Starrett stuff and they're machinist pieces. And I didn't know what some of them were, you know, some of them were like inside calipers and stuff like that. But like, yeah, just, it's a whole different tool set and being, there's, there's a difference between being able to mill and, you know, let's say an aluminum Craig jig and being able to mill a a high tolerance part. Right. That's oh, yeah. not what I would consider a high tolerance part. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I just, it's a rabbit hole. Maybe for when I retire. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay. All right. That's yeah. fair. We'll allow yeah. it. Uh, I would, I would like to be able to set one up to help cut dovetails on the soles of hand planes. Uh, that's, that's that would be one of the very first things that I would do okay. on a milling machine would be figure out how to set it up to accurately cut dovetails for peened soles on hand planes because then that's I mean that is by far the most tedious part of making a hand plane is the dovetailing the sole yeah and yeah that'd be the absolute first thing I'd do okay. Well, first thing I'd do is I'd call Bobby and be like, hey, can you help me unload this? <laughs> <laughs> Special shout out to Epilogue Laser and their cool set of tools that allow you to customize and make unique woodworking projects. You can check out all that they have at epiloguelaser.com. John, did you ever have any experience on a, any metalworking uh yeah a little bit back like kind of what logan described in his high school shop experience we had all those things too we had a similar size schools and agricultural you know area so we did a little bit of milling and welding and stuff along with the woodworking but like logan said woodworking and metalworking do not mix they were in separate rooms because of the oil and dirt and fire and wood shavings and metal shavings do not yep. <laughs> react the same way. So we're mixed, yeah. but, but yeah, so not since high school and college, we had a, a machine shop as well that we did some projects in, but that's been like 20 some years ago. I mean, turn of the century stuff right there. <laughs> early 2000s the aughts yep. mm-hmm. the aught sevens yeah. yeah yeah i blew out my son's mind the other day because he was asking about what it was like when i was in school and i told him that i started kindergarten in 1978 it's like when that 70s show was taking place right yeah, it was just like yeah. that Jeez, it's basically a documentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was in Wisconsin too. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, so it's. I might as well have told him that I watched the glaciers recede. <laughs> I mean, like just. Right. It was nice when they pulled back because then it was a lot easier to get to school. Yeah. So there you go. That's funny.
So anyway, I would love to hear anybody else's experience if you have worked on milling machines or have one yourself, what it's like and how you maybe mix woodworking and metalworking together. Um, also, if there are other trades or interests that you think would be helpful for a woodworker to have a friend in would be kind of cool. It's funny, you know, this whole conversation just reminded me of, I, I got an invoice yesterday for the helical cutter head for the big jointer. And when I first published that article, I got an email from a guy. Uh, I'll have to go back and look. And it's, it's been a year, a year since he emailed me. Um, but this gentleman was like the editor of like guns and shooting magazine or one of the guns magazines or something. And he's like, Hey, if you ever need any machining done, you know, let me know because I'm going to have a woodworker, but I got a full machine shop set up too. And he sent me pictures of some of the stuff he, he did. I'm like, whoo, whoo, yeah, I need some brass inlay on my, on my jointer <laughs> fence. <laughs> like, can we put a little like, you know, evergreen tree on that? That'd be sweet. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. You know, I, I did always think it was, and I've, I've reached out to a few of them to see if anybody's interested in doing an article. I always thought it'd be interesting to do a, not necessarily a collaboration, but a, a, an article, a piece on a blacksmith, like the process of like forging chisels. Sure. Because there are companies that still forge hand forged chisels. Um, bar Corton out of Idaho, I think. Um, they still hand forge all of their chisels. Like to yeah. me, that's a super, or um, actually I had one planned um, and my guy pulled out on the article um, forging an ads and actually forging an ads out of a um, ball peen hammer because it already has the eye, has enough mass there. You can make it pretty easily. So we're going to do a bowl ads out of, Balping hammer uh, because there is that kind of you know interwoven relationship there that you know our tools are not made necessarily by woodworkers there are parts that are not yeah for sure so yeah and it is kind of fun to see some of those videos on youtube or um seeing some of the japanese blacksmiths making japanese uh chisels and plane blades yeah you know, where they're forging the two different types of metal together. And yeah, it's just a cool process. Yeah. But a bowl adds out of a ball peen hammer. That's makes sense though. Right. Because it does eyes, are, eyes already done. There's plenty yeah. of mass there to make it. And I, I need know. a bowl adds. Well, I do too. I know that's that <laughs> I was, I was a little upset when Andy pulled out of that one, but yeah, I get it. So, yeah. Oh, well. Yep. Yeah. You got to give a shout out to our coffee sponsor today, Blue Spruce. <laughs> <laughs> With my sweet collector's mug. <laughs> uh, there I didn't go. even know they made coffee. <laughs> it's, a, it's very piney. Yeah. 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 Maybe some curly maple in there. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Not many people know that Strongsville, Ohio is a coffee production center yeah. of the world. Yeah. So speaking of 
woodworking tools. Uh, I've been working on a, a carved sign and I've found carved sign and then a few other projects related, not, not really related, a few other woodworking projects. And I found a related tool that has proven to be really cool. And I think no matter what kind of woodworking you do, if you have an interest in hand tools, one hand tool that you should really consider having is some kind of a gouge. Mm -hmm. A medium, I don't know what this one is. Let's call it, that's yeah, about one inch wide. And like a medium sweep. Medium sweep. Let's call it a number eight, maybe. I'll put a picture on our uh, show notes page for it. But for making the signs, it's really nice for removing material, a lot of material pretty quickly. I've been doing the signs entirely by hand because it's just something that I enjoy doing. And I've also found that even just in my other furniture making, having a gouge is really nice because of its ability to very quickly remove material and in shaping curved surfaces. Because mm. I view it as kind of a mallet-powered scrub plane. Okay, yep. So that you could, you know, if you're trying to remove something from a hollow or a recess or something like that, you can do a lot of removal in a very short amount of time in the same way that a scrub plane can quickly remove material on surfaces, flat surfaces. So whether it's doing something flat or creating something recessed, but then also just pairing with it to create kind of a curved profile or transitions between uh, different shapes. It's been really cool to have. So, you know what else would be like a powered scrub plane, a spoon adds. Because, man, you can hog away some material with that real quick, too. Yes. Like a tiny little one, but you could just... Yeah. Or a bull adds made from a ball-peen hammer. ball-peen, that's right. That's yeah. Right. I also, I think I got both of these gouges from you. I have a smaller version. I think that's a number eight yeah. also, but it's yep. like a half inch or three-quarter inch wide. And that one's been really fun, too. So it's... I think Chris got me started on wanting a gouge, watching him do some stuff. And it's just part of it's just Chris, just the way he works on things. But yeah, that's where it starts. I, you know where I find a lot of those types of low sweep gouges and it kind of scares me a little bit that I find them like this is I find them in lots of turning tools. Oh, okay. So a lot of times, like if I, a lot of times I'll just be browsing Facebook. Now I'm giving away some of my secrets, but like I'll look <laughs> for, you know, search for lathe. I don't need another lathe. Right. But a lot of times I'll find a lathe that has a bunch of tools with it. I'll be like, hey, you know, this has been up for several weeks. Do you want to unload the tools? And I'll buy just a lot of tools from somebody. Yeah. Um, and I've done that five or six times in the last year. And you never really know what's in there. So sometimes it's crapshoot. Like you can see, like oftentimes you can tell the brand of the tool by the handle that's on it. Right. 
you know, like you tell if they're crappy, like Shopsmith or uh, Buck or you know, uh, Great Neck. You know, the like the the tools that you just immediately go in the garbage. Um, the you can also tell the higher end tools like the Sorbies and stuff. But then sometimes you're like, that's not a turning tool. <laughs> and it kind of scares me that somebody I mean, had this with their lathe. Anything can be a turning tool. Yeah, nah, <laughs> nope, nope, it can't. Once. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once. So, like, uh, sometimes I'll end up with what I think is a five-gallon bucket full of turning tools, but half of them are actually carving gouges. Okay. And it's like, it scares me that somebody, and I know somebody used them at the lathe because they've clearly been sharpened on a grinder. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, if you're turning small stuff, could you do it with a carving gouge? Yes. Yes, you could. Um, however, the tang construction is not designed for that torque. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like maybe they're an estate thing where right somebody was didn't know what they were and just selling the tools like oh these all kind of look like the same thing yeah and and that, a lot of the times that is what it maybe. is yes yeah so all that to say is label your tools so in case something happens and somebody <laughs> needs to unload them so that they yeah. can all go to go. the right place well okay so that is a real question though like do you have you guys ever considered now john i know it, Neither of you guys are as bad as I am with hoarding stuff, <laughs> tools in particular. Um, I've I started and I didn't finish it. And actually, I think did Brian Nelson do an article on this, like a shop, um, oh, yeah. like an inventory, call, like yeah. like an inventory. So it's like yeah. I kind of I think I started that at one point, um, but I buy and sell tools so much, it's like it's you're not keeping up with it. But, like, right. I feel like sometimes I need to do that just in case, like, so my wife knows what to do with stuff. Right. right. You know? Yeah. You wouldn't want the IRS finding your ledger book either, so. No. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny. Actually, Brian Van Huberschwin and I uh, just had this conversation lunch a couple weeks ago. He's like, you know, he's like, I basically told my wife, he's like, if I, something happens to me, just open the garage door and have a $5 flash sale. He's like some people. I thought he was going to say, "Call Logan." If something happens, call <laughs> Logan. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but he's he's like, I told her just have a flash sale. Some people are going to get smoking deals, but he's like, at that point, I just don't want you to worry about it. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So, just bury me with them. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a big hole. Yep. Just Viking style, just yep. with your yep. horde. Dragon treasure horde. Yep. All right. I think that does it for this week's episode of the shop notes podcast. I'd love to hear, like I said, if you have any uh, experience with metalworking and machine working, or if you have a milling machine that you've used and enjoyed that process or any other tools that you think are must haves that don't really seem like they fit. Like my discussion with the, uh, gouges for cabinet work. Uh, you can put that on the comment section on our YouTube channel or send us an email woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Special shout out to Epilogue Laser and their line of tools that help you personalize and customize your woodworking projects. 
not only for the uniqueness of it, but to add value. So you can check out their stuff at epilogulaser.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye.